You're listening to Pacific Post-Ups, an NBA podcast covering the Pacific Division, with your hosts, Lewis Dade and Nick Boylan. Let's get into it. Hello and welcome in to another edition of the Pacific Post-Ups. Nick, as has been a common theme over the last couple of weeks, as a Warriors fan, you're starting off this podcast a very happy man. I'm starting to get a little bit happier as well. I think that um, it's been kind of one of those starts of the season where, you know, obviously ticking off some wins, getting past teams that they should get past. Um, good players are playing well and some of these new faces are, are fitting in nicely, but it's just starting to put together a, a nice little run of dominance that's starting to get a little bit of belief around the place, um, you know, with Clay inching closer to a return as well. It seems like it's just a it's a good feeling around the Bay at the moment, which is um, fantastic to see. And it certainly uh, made my week a, a little bit better as I push towards the end of the school term, which is always a fun time. Absolutely. Uh, for those who don't, who aren't aware, our listeners, uh, Nick works in education and I work in retail. So this time of year absolutely kills both of us. But it's yep. also the best time of year to be uh, enjoying some mid-season basketball. So we will start with your Warriors. Uh, Nick, you had a big win today against the Los Angeles Clippers. Uh, certainly a team of reasonable caliber that we'll talk about a little later in the pod. What did you see notably out of today's game and I guess also the last week for the Warriors? Yeah, I mean, it was a pretty ugly sort of first half. It wasn't the, the cleanest game that um, that um, either team have really played in a while. And um, it just started to open up a little bit more as it went. It looked like uh, Marcus Morris was working his way back into some form after obviously returning um, over the last week for the Clippers, which is a big boom for them. And then things just started to percolate. Um, Isaiah Hartenstein did a, a pretty nice block that Jordan Poole didn't really like. And then Jordan Poole just, uh, you know, had his own run, drained four threes in the final two, two and a bit minutes of the third quarter. And we started to be like, okay, this, this is um, starting to open up. And then if you're making Jordan Poole mad, fair, you know, things can happen. Steph Curry getting mad is a, a bad thing for everybody. And he's a guy who doesn't get too angry um, and too upset with calls, which um. I wish sometimes I had his patience because um, over the years, he certainly sometimes maybe doesn't get the calls that some other bigger players do um, and some other guards do. But yeah, got um, hit pretty hard um, on the way to the rim, did not get the call, um, was furious, got teed up and then just started to go bananas and really sort of helped push that lead out in the fourth quarter, Lou. Yeah, and you know... (laughs) Steph, credit to him, uh, became one of the few blokes in the league that can get away with basically giving a ref a technical foul gesture, uh, yep. which I thoroughly enjoyed. Uh, and, and no doubt for our regular listeners, they'll know how much you'd enjoy watching a Isaiah Hartenstein, Jordan Paul sequence. Uh, two of uh, two of your favourite players, no doubt, yep. Nick. And two <laughs> favourites of us on the pod. But yeah, look, it, it was probably, this whole game to me was just another reminder and reiteration that this Warriors team is certainly a notch above the pack in the Western Conference. Um, if you kind of hold the Clippers as a, a good but a playoff team that's not quite a contender, uh, obviously we always talk about the caveat with Kawhi Leonard's health, but you know the, the Warriors kind of showed their class uh, here in this one, um, and obviously no one more than Steph. There was a, a solid contribution from Otto Porter, uh, who mm. I was big on in the offseason, uh, and I think he's been really efficient this year and perhaps a little underrated. Um, what are you seeing from his perspective? Obviously, highly efficient as a shooter tonight, also a good rebounder. He, he obviously started off his career more as a, a three in Washington, but as the, the league's trended smaller and he's kind of filled out a bit, he's really quite a big body out there as a wing these yep. days. Is he a guy that you think's got some playoff minutes in him? Yeah, absolutely. I think that um, anyone who's got the shooting caliber that Porter has is, is going to be playable. Someone who's at Still not moving the best on defense, maybe compared to what he typically did. And as you said, is probably more well-equipped to guard some some larger threes and more of the fours these days. But he still makes some good decisions um, on that end. Had a couple of steals today. Um, 
makes good decisions with the ball in hand, can make an extra pass. And he's just a really good system fit. Um, he's got a really clean shooting stroke. This isn't someone who's just, you know, who knocks down threes at a high percentage and just because he's wide open or anything like that, he can get his shot up really quick. Um, and yeah, he's just a really handy kind of different weapon to to be a leadster. You can play him in a couple of different lineups, Draymond as well. And yeah, he's he's been a really um, handy acquisition for the Dubs, and he's one of the major reasons why their bench unit's going so well. Absolutely. I think he's an example of, and we touched about this a few times, that the Warriors just have so much kind of competent professional depth this year that they lacked over the last couple of years. It's a guy that Steve Kerr can trust, a guy that's seen a lot of NBA offense and defense, mm. um, you know, isn't going to make really bad mistakes. Um, you know, he's maybe not quite as fluid of an athlete as what he was when he was a younger man. Um, and that to a certain extent is to do with injuries, but I think he's been you know, really effective there was a season-high 19 steals uh, from Golden State with six from Steph, who's always been a bit underrated as a, a steals guy, I think, in my mind. This defense is just really humming along. Um, mm. Obviously, Draymond's highly engaged. You know, you've got a bunch of guys now that are either A, smart basketball players, or B, have now been in the system for a little bit while, or a little bit longer and starting to feel it out. Is this level of defense going to be sustainable when we get into kind of the half court hero ball of the playoffs, or do you think this is just really good systemic regular season defense? Yeah, I, I do think it's sustainable just because of, like you said, the sort of the defensive acumen and IQ of a lot of the guys on the roster are just, they, they make good decisions on that end of the floor. Um, you know, Gary Payton's come in and obviously provided a spark on that end. They're missing Andre Iguodala, um, who's missed a few games now with a, with a knee. Um, but, you know, he's still, somehow st- is still having like the quickest hands that, you know, sort of on the floor um, outside of Draymond and Draymond's probably playing the, he certainly f- he finished last season really strongly and he sort of continued that on um, after a strong Olympics campaign. And he's taken that into this year where I think he's the absolute front runner for the defensive player of the year at the moment. And he's just looking like a bit more active on that end. Um, everything's just seeming very lively um, on the defensive end. And it's really making it hard for, for teams to score on it, particularly if, like a team for the Clippers who have struggled to score all year, really, particularly if Paul George isn't, you know, super firing or Reggie Jackson um, who had a lot of problems today. So, you know, it, it's, it's the seventh game that the dubs have held their opponents to, to less than 40% from the field this season. And it's played against a variety of teams who are giving Golden State different things to look at um, offensively. So I, I generally do think this is sustainable. Um, and it's, you know, it's it's leading um, to some really uh, fiery offense on the other end. Absolutely. Uh, moving on to some games that they've uh, played throughout the course of this week. They did get a, a win over Portland. Um those games are always interesting to watch because of the kind of Dame, Steph, I guess you'd call it a rivalry, although they seem to have a lot of mutual respect there. Um, you know, CJ McCullum and Damian Lillard were held to 32 points combined, while Steph Curry had 32 of his own to go with eight assists and seven boards. This was a, a bit of a vintage Steph game, um, including one highlight three that's been doing the rounds where uh, Damian Lillard basically does everything you could do on defense, yep. including maybe even fouling Steph in the process. And Steph still drains one. Uh, this just kind of brings back the memories of the Warriors of years gone past, Nick, where there was just, you know, a mix of fun Steph games, but also these classic kind of vintage deep three highlights. Um, mm. As a fan, does that kind of give you the feeling of a uh, being back in Steph's golden era again? It, it definitely is. I mean, um, it's starting to get that feel about it. Um, the the type of group that they've got got sort of a you know ragtag group of veterans. Um, some guys coming back, some guys who've been there before, um, some younger guys. You know, providing that sort of youthful exuberance and energy on the bench. They all seem like they're having a really good time, and you know that's just a, a really good indication of a you know team that likes playing together um, and is playing really good basketball. So, um, yeah, that that play. You know, in, when it when Draymond and Steph are getting sort of that you know that handoff game going and Draymond always knows where Steph's going to be at all times. And as you said, Dame does really everything that he can on that play. Um, but yeah, he just can't stop it. And um, probably the other thing that, you know, definitely a deserved MVP front runner at the moment for Steph. But, you know, I was talking about the defense before, but I think that he's probably playing. It was, he was, Steph Curry was so maligned for his inability to stay in front of guards, um, you know, that, 
Cleveland hunted switches um, with Curry um, in the finals. But he's staying in front of a lot of guys now. Um, you know, he's obviously spent some time over the last couple of off seasons, particularly this one, to get stronger in the body. That's helping him, you know, rebound the ball. To, uh, he's always been a good rebounder for his size, but he's it got better on that end. But he just stays in front of guys so much better, doesn't get forced off the ball. Um, he's And then that also translates onto the offensive end where he's able to fight through screens more and um, cop a little bit more punishment, which teams are starting to give him, obviously, because they, you know, triple team, quadruple teaming him. So... Um, the defensive growth of Steph Curry is definitely sort of tying into um, how well the dubs are going on that end. And that's, you know, helping them blow teams out by 15, by 20 and build up these massive leads. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, when Steph was getting, you know, we say hunted on switches, I mean, it, it, unfortunately for him, a lot of the time it was getting hunted on switches by James Harden, uh, Western Conference Finals or yep. LeBron James in, fi- in the NBA Finals, two guys that you can be, a lot bigger and more well-built and still look a bit silly um, on, a, uh, on a switch against those guys and probably both of their athletic peaks roughly as well. Uh, it, it's I think he's always been a, a skillful defender despite his size. Um, he's always been a willing defender despite his size, particularly in the playoffs. Uh, and, you know, where there's been a lot made of Steph Curry's kind of, I wouldn't call it a body transformation. He's always been in good shape, but the way he's really filled out over the last couple of years uh, but most of that has been people talking about him on the offset offensive side of the ball with the ability to take contact, um, you know, continue to attack the rim. But, you know, th- there's a big part of that defensively. And as the league gets a little bit smaller, with Steph carrying a bit more of a frame around, it might give them some more freedom, um, you know, defensively as far as what he can do there. Yep. And, I, you know, for a guy that everyone worried about his longevity from a health perspective, he's looking really healthy, really good. Um he did. You mentioned blowing out teams by 15 or 20. Well, that's exactly what they did to the Philadelphia 76ers, uh, in which Steph got another one over his brother. Um, and look, we know Philly are obviously a little undermanned at the moment. Um, and I think in the game against Golden State, they were substantially undermanned. But you know, we talked. We've talked about it the last couple of times, and Golden State just keep racking up these wins that they need to rack up, Nick. Yeah, and they're getting it from – you've got nights where Steph's having, you know, 30-plus, but only had the 25 uh, versus Seth's 24. Um, but, you know, 19 points from Wiggins, 17 from Paul, 10 from Draymond, and 13 from once Skyner Anderson, 12 from Otto Porter. It's it's the ability now to get contributions from up and down the roster, um, but you're not needing to rely on these Steph explosions all the time. But, you know, you still have him play really well. So – um, you know, it's, it's still in a game where he has like 10 assists. So the, the the difference between sort of Golden State's best and, and not so best is really starting to um, not really exist too much. There's, there's really like not a huge drop off like in the in the minutes when Steph's resting, um, which is massive, even to the point where he's probably getting a little bit frustrated that he's getting taken out, um, you know, a little bit quicker or not playing the minutes that he wants. But, you know, that's just going to hold him in good stead for the playoffs where he's going to be having to play, you know, 40 plus minutes. So, no, they're doing what they need to do. Um, you know, against the team, Philly, as you said, are, are under man. They didn't have MB back um, for that game. Um, it was still, you know, still rolling out with Andre Drummond. Um, but, no, they're, they're doing what they need to do at the moment, um, which is pretty fantastic. But, yeah, sort of, you, you flip things back over to who Golden State beat today, Lou, the Clippers. Um, they defended pretty well in that game. Um, but, 24 turnovers in a game, which is their most um, in an NBA game since 2018. Uh, you, you just can't win a basketball game when you're, you're losing the ball that much. Yeah, absolutely. And I think this, to a certain extent, is symptomatic of the lack of kind of high-level creators they've got on this team. Um, it's forcing guys into offensive roles that perhaps they're not quite ready for um, mm. or they can't do night in, night out is probably the the correct phrase, um, you know, zero points for Reggie Jackson stands out. And that's just an example of a guy that on any given night can look like a really high level starting point guard in the league. And then on other nights, you know, reminds you of why uh, he's been frustratingly inconsistent throughout the course of his career. Mm. Um, this team's trying hard. Uh, you know, Ty Lue, I think has got them engaged defensively, which is good, but it's just so much to be done by Paul George. Um who's look my biggest fear with with Paul George is just fatigue over the course of this year um yeah. 
I'm re- when you watch a Clippers game, he's just been asked to do so much. And, you know, probably for a wing-sized guy, you know, probably LeBron's the only one that I can think of that's kind of been able to do this much consistently night in, night out, and still be ready for the playoffs most years. Um, you know, we've even seen the, the kind of wear and tear it's had on a guy like Kawhi. And, and what they're asking Paul George to do is not something that, uh, you know, a lot of Kevin Durant's teams have asked him to do, for example, um, with just so many reps on the ball as well. I mean, the highlight to me was was probably, like you mentioned, Marcus Morris, who is working his way back from injury and is someone that can do a little bit of self-creation um, and, you know, a guy that you can chuck the ball to on the post, a guy that was really efficient from three last year. So, yeah, it, it's tough for the Clippers. I, I think teams like Golden State are showing them up a little bit and are showing what their likely destiny will be if it's, this is the exact iteration of the Clippers we get in the playoffs. Um, and, you know, when your role players don't show up, show, show up you know, both Mann and Canard had poor shooting nights. Um, you know, Abaka is still very much working his way back from mm. injury and has looked ginger at times, although he's kind of progressing week by week. Uh, I think there's just too much of a load on Paul George. What have you kind of seen out of them? I, I guess both in this Golden State win, but, but probably more realistically from the, the four-week package we've seen now out of the Clippers. Yeah, the fatigue is a big one because if like Paul George needs to have a really good night and if he's not having a really good night, then Reggie Jackson needs to have a really good night. And if neither of those two are really dropping in 25, 30 plus, Clippers aren't really are really going to struggle to win a game. They're going to really, really struggle. Um, they did have a, a pretty okay team performance against Detroit who, you know, aren't not the highest bar to clear at the moment in the NBA. They've still got, they've, they're working their way back into things and Kate Cunningham starting to, you know, uh, turn things on a touch. Um, but, you know, just an 11 point win over them. Um, they got away with a five and 19 shooting night from PG. Thankfully had, yeah, 21 from Reggie, four other Clippers in double figures for scoring, which was helpful. Um, Marcus Morris is the big one for them. If he's able to, yeah, he, as I said before, he started quite well against Golden State, really couldn't get that going. But if he's able to sort of, turn into a regular 16, 18, 20 point per game guy um, for the rest of the regular season, stay healthy and be good to go, then, you know, I reckon the Clippers are sort of uh, more than able, more than capable to sort of sit in that spot of, you know, where they are at the moment, sort of fifth in the Western Conference, just above Portland, Minnesota are starting to put some things together now. Um, The Lakers, you know, still trying to work things out as well. So... It's kind of, you know, the Clippers aren't going badly, but if probably some teams below them were starting to play a little bit better, then they might start sliding a little bit. Um, but they are going to have some nights when Paul George is going to, you know, be enough. They, you know, had a tough overtime loss to Dallas after PG forced into overtime with a really deep three. And, and Reggie had 31 points in that game. So those games, when you get, when those two guys are firing, you, you're going to be in with a chance. But if they're not, it's just, they just don't have enough. Yeah. And I mean, you know, the, the Dallas loss is also kind of encapsulating the workload on Paul George, who looked kind of exhausted throughout it. And that three he made, which was absurd, was the only three he made all night. It just dragged him into overtime. And then they looked completely flat in overtime. Yep. Um, you know, I, I mean, the credit's got to go to Paul George. We kind of gave him his flowers a little bit last year in the playoffs and have continued to kind of pump him up um, throughout the course of this year. It, the, obviously, the thought that comes to mind is there anything that the Clippers can do from a front office perspective to get Paul George a little bit more help? But I, I just don't really think it's there unless it comes from within. Um, you know, if, if a Barker can wind back the clock a year or two, Marcus mm. Myers can kind of look like he did for six months in New York there. Um, you know, there's a few, Reggie Jackson, obviously, um, we know he can kind of step up a gear. We've harped on and on and on about Luke Kennard on this podcast. Um, but at the end of the day, a lot of these guys, a lot of these guys, are kind of role players in their own way. And that's why they kind of fit well on this roster when this roster is fully healthy. I mean, you know, you're not going to mm. dump the ball down to, to Zoobs 10 times a game for some creation. You know, Mark, the Marcus Morris, you know, fadeaways are kind of fun, but at the same time, too many of them, it gets a bit icky from an analytics perspective. So I think they're just going to have to keep, you know, sticking it together, try to, you know, go six and four in every 10 games they play, maybe seven and three. Um, and see how Kawhi Leonard is feeling, you know, as we kind of round into the all-star break. Um, but, you know, uh, credit to Paul George for continuing to put up, you know, his best effort. 
at this point in time, I think they're doing everything they can with a roster that's a little bit tight squeezed for creation at the moment. Yeah, 100%. Um, a team that is doing fantastically well and is now setting up a mouth-watering clash with Golden State uh, is the Phoenix Suns. 16 wins in a row now, uh, one win away from tying their franchise record 17 wins, which we talked about last week uh, in the 2006-07 season. Obviously, um, and one of those fantastic Steve Nash-led ball clubs. But yeah, 16 in a row, punctuated by a really exciting six-point win over Brooklyn. Um, Booker was excellent with 32 points, um, following up from another 32 points against uh, the Knicks, uh, where they cleaned them up by 21. Uh, Mikael Bridges gave James Harden absolute nightmares all night, four or 15 shooting for, for James Harden, and plus seven turnovers as well. Um, I think now it's starting to feel like, um, although the love is all sort of heading towards the bay a little bit, that, Lou, I think Phoenix is finally starting to get noticed a little bit with the run they're on. Yeah, look, I've been equally as impressed with Phoenix as I have with Golden State. Um, I think they've won a lot of games against reasonable to good teams in the last kind of period of time as well. Uh, that Brooklyn win was a statement win, if you ask me. Uh, yeah. It's funny, you watch Booker, the way he just abused LaMarcus Aldridge on switches. And it actually reminded me of the playoff game where Anthony Davis was clearly playing hurt and Booker just came out and decided he just wanted to embarrass him. Um, it's moments like that where you, you remember how much, and I don't think they're the same player in any way, but you remember how much kind of Kobe influence there is in Booker where mm. he gets a matchup he likes and he can probably take LMA to the hole or do what he wants, but he's just going to insist on just drilling daggers over him, um, which makes him such a fun player to watch. But look, the, the guy I wanted to talk about out of that win was the guy that I will talk about till the cows come over, and that's Mikhail Bridges. Um, you know, we firmly planted the flag of Mikhail Bridges being a all-defense guy early in the season on this podcast. And just, yeah, I mean, we know Harden's not in amazing shape at the moment, but watching him just kind of read James Harden's mind, so many of those steals were bridges orientated. He managed to pick Kevin Durant's pocket several times, going out for jump shots as well. He's just, as far as a point point of attack and help defense go, obviously has been a little bit made of the fact that bridges isn't maybe large enough to guard you. LeBron's of the world night in, night out, but he's so good point of attack and help defense. It, it's just, yeah, it's underappreciated at this point, I think. Yeah. Um, he's just particularly, you know, in some big games against like, uh, in that, in that market, um, against both the Knicks and Brooklyn, just the impact that he has, um, on the whole team's defense. Um, but just able to lock down as an individual defender is just incredible. Um, you know, he kind of knows the nights when he's, that's side of his games kind of needed a little bit more, um, but he's still able to contribute on the offensive end when he needs to. I think that's, you know, it just shows the how much synergy this team has is that sort of understanding, you know, there's been a couple of nights when, okay, all right, well, Booker's, you know, cooking a little bit tonight. We can let him go a little bit, but then there's some nights where Chris Paul's shooting the ball a little bit more. You're getting DeAndre Ayton working back into things and realizing that, you know, there's a matchup for him that he can dominate a little bit. And then you've got some nights when Mikael Bridges, you know, with them and they're running out in transition, he can really, you know, use that athleticism in that department, but also have some good shooting nights too. So um, it's just such a multifaceted team. Um, that, you know, they've got a lot of guys who defend at a high level, move the ball, get good shots, and sometimes it doesn't need to be more complicated than that. Yeah, at the end of the day, he's like the perfect role player. Um, role player plus plus, call it what you want. But, yeah, he's just been really he's just been really effective. He's a winning player. Um, he's a, it's so underappreciated what a guy like him can do for you in the regular season, night in, night out. You talked about the win over the Knicks as well, and obviously the Knicks are struggling a touch from last down from last year. But you know, Booker with 32, you know, six Suns in double figures in that game as well. You know, we, we talked about the Suns' depth being a little bit underrated at times. Um, they're looking like a, a really consummate professional outfit at the moment, and there was talks about I know this 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 winning streak going into this little stretch here, and it always came with the the caveat that it kind of the Golden State Warriors and the Phoenix Suns were going to meet at some point. Uh, I'm glad the streak is still alive, to be honest yep. with you. Uh, adds a bit of juice. Um, and if, if I'm, forgive me if I'm wrong, but I, I think these teams meet twice in a short period of time as well. Correct. Uh, so if Phoenix maybe manages to hold the first one, I believe they then play Detroit and then again against Golden State as well. So we kind of get two, we might get two bites at the cherry here 
as far as Golden State's chance to break the winning streak. Um, but these games could also be big in a tiebreaker come the end of the year. If these two mm. teams are going to be at the top of the standings, um, you know, it's always important to remember that these tiebreakers can be pretty pivotal. Um, and if you get the seven seed, we, we saw what could have happened last year if you got a healthy Lakers matchup and how kind of devastating that might have been as opposed to the eight seed in the playoffs. So, yeah, don't underestimate the value of uh, these two games, both for standings and for tiebreakers. Um because everyone's going to want that one seed and getting the likely lesser of the two play-in teams come the pointy end of the year, Nick. Yeah, it's, they're going to be huge games. Um, and I think both as tests for for maybe both sides. I think the, the discussion's been, both, I know, for Golden State, but also for Phoenix as well. It's always when they're going on these like runs, and particularly it's hard when you're a really good team, is that they're like, oh, who have you beaten? And it's like, well, I mean, they've beaten Brooklyn, and Golden State, have beaten Brooklyn as well um, on on their own run. Um, but, you know, probably on the other side of things, you know, I'm, I'm keen to see how, you know, both sides um, take on the Bucks. that they're probably the other team that's sort of in the conversation for the maybe the best team in the NBA at the moment. Brooklyn, I'm still maybe sleeping on a touch, but um, maybe it's just because the Giannis factor and how both teams defend um, him, it's always an interesting one. But, um yeah, they're both going to be really interesting games. I'm really keen to sort of see how uh, the coaching uh, moves go from uh, from game to game as well, particularly when you've got such a, a short break between playing the same team, um, sort of how Steve Kerr and Monty Williams both handle these games and handle matchups, you know, whose bridge is going to take, um, you know, is it going to be one of those nights where Steph's locked up a bit and it's, you know, it's going to be overly reliant on Jordan Poole and Andrew Wiggins having a couple of those games that they had last week. So, and then for for Phoenix as well, you know, is it, is it going to be a lot of Booker um, and, and trying to stop him or they're going to try to um, maybe utilize that advantage that DeAndre Ayton's got and try to, you know, get him to, to have a big game over Kevon Looney and Draymond Green. So there is going to be some interesting matchups and I'm, yeah, I'm really looking forward to watching both of those games. Yeah, absolutely. And that probably leads us into a game that everyone was looking forward to watching. And that was LeBron versus Beef Stew round two. Um, and that's where we'll kick off with the Lakers. So LeBron's been pretty impressive the last week for a guy that obviously was returning from an injury and then got a, a, a little stint off uh, due to incidences that we've previously discussed. Um, he's been awesome the last couple of games. Uh, we'll touch on some of the ones from earlier in the week just a bit later, but today alone, 33 points, nine assists, five boards, two steals to go with a 24 and 10 double-double from AD, which had two steals and assists to go with three blocks and Westbrook 25, nine and six. So you read that headline and you go the Lakers big three, all with statistics popping off the, uh, the page. They must have beat what is kind of the worst team in the East comfortably. Well, not quite, but they did kind of dominate the first three quarters, which is important to mention. Um, Detroit kind of had a strong finish there, which made this scoreline look a little closer than perhaps what it was for the duration of the game. I'm glad to see the Lakers are winning these games. I'm not tending to overreact to them at the moment. The combination of shooters off the bench in Monk, Anthony and Ellington all had a bit of a, a difficult time of it today. THT had a pretty well-rounded game, 12-8-4. Is this a positive? Is this a negative? Where do you kind of feel about these kind of games for the Lakers crew? I mean, you're right in saying that these are games that they need to win. Um, and being able to now get some continuity with LeBron back, I think is really important because that's just something they haven't really had to start the season, um, particularly with factoring such a major piece in Russell Westbrook and also getting Taylor Horton Tucker back, Wayne Ellington, these sort of guys. It was, it's just so hard to criticize this team too much, although I've done a little bit of it, um, with it just until everybody's back. And um you're right that LeBron's looked really good. I think Russ is actually putting together a much better stint um, of things. Um, I'm still a little bit concerned with how the amount of jump shots that AD's taking and how many he's missing. Um, you know, I know you've talked about at length uh, sometimes the uh, maybe the, the, the over-exaggeration of what we saw in the bubble in Orlando, particularly from uh, AD um, when he started thinking that, you know, he was, uh, I don't know, Dirk Nowitzki just jacking up perimeter shots. Um, so 
that's a little bit concerning a little bit. And I, I still want him just to just, just get to the damn rim. Um, defensively, he's been pretty good, though. Um, and, th- yeah, there's sort of oh, – I mean, there's going to be games when these three guys are going to go off, and then there's going to be games when they are going to need some some performances from the likes of Malik Mark and the likes of Mello and Wayne Ellington and these sort of guys. But I think that they're starting to put a little a couple little things together. Um, we'll have to see how they handle um, a return game against the Kings next uh, and then also a game with their uh, Staples Center rivals, the Clippers. That one I'm really interested to sort of see how they go, um, you know, if they can shut down Paul George because um, the defense for the Lakers hasn't been the best thing in the world. They're just really struggling to have any those sort of point of attack guys. And they just, compared to the roster, you know, that they've had in the last couple of years, they don't really have a lot of rangy athletic wing types um, to stay in front of a guy like Paul George. So that could be a game where Paul George just goes nuts and buries the Lakers on his own. So, um, you know, I think that the needle's pointing a little bit in the right direction um, for the Lakers, but I'm still just, you know, I'm not exactly buying all the stock at the moment for sure. Yeah, and look, that Kings game was was pretty gross. Yeah. Time games where it was pretty much just whichever tired team was going to be able to get as many threes to drop because the offensive switches just were gone. There were so many guys fouled out at that point as well. Um, It's still not a good sign. I mean, we'll touch on the Kings shortly, but it's not a team you want to be necessarily losing to. Um, You also don't want to find yourself in in triple overtime games too often when two of your stars are aging and the other ones are a little bit injury prone. But, you know, these things are going to happen from time to time. The highlight probably of the the week for them was the game against Indiana, which was also another yeah. time game. Um, so that in itself isn't great, considering Indiana haven't borne out to be a great team so far this season. But LeBron, 39 points, nailing clutch jumpers over DeMontis Sabonis. It, it, it had kind of fun vibes of that 2018 Pacers-Cavs playoff series where it felt like every mm. time the Cavs needed a shot, LeBron had something outrageous from deep. Um, I, uh, it's always nice to see kind of the king get deep into his bag. I, I guess it, it does continue to concern me a little bit that it, it, the Lakers' success is so heavily invested in the jump shots of LeBron. Um, where when it's when it's hot, it's hot. When it's against Indiana and it, it gets him over the line, but when it's you know uh, what was it two of thirteen from deep against Sacramento, um, it doesn't get him over the line, but. Credit to LeBron. He has become a better shooter over the course of his career, I think. Um, even though his percentages haven't necessarily climbed dramatically over the years, I think what people fail to take into account is he's been willing to take tougher and deeper threes more and more as his career has gone on. Um, but, you know, that was a nice feel-good win. Indiana, despite their record, are not a pushover by any means. Uh, so it was good to see LeBron come back uh, and get that win there. At the same time, you know, we've kind of discussed it. It's not a great sign that they have to fight so hard to win these games, but yeah. maybe that just needs to be this team with a, with an aging roster um, that they're not going to be a regular season juggernaut. Was there anything else you'd kind of taken out of this week from the Lakers? Nick? I mean, it, they're back to 500 now, but it's just like, you're right that it's they're almost kind of just sort of sitting a little bit, still trying to work things out. You know, we talked last week about sort of the, about how THT was going really well and then LeBron's come back into things and they're going to try to work that out, sort of the fit as well. Like um, he is a bit of a square peg in a round hole sometimes. Um, I'm still thinking they need some more shooting and some you know, some guys who can defend and I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not sure if that's, you know, they're expecting both of those things to come in the return of Trevor Ariza. So, um, you know, we're still going to wait and see what happens. I think I'm... Um, yeah, the, the eyes are firmly on that Clippers game. I think that'll give us a really good indication of where they're at, sort of a team that's near enough um, around them in the standings um, and see who can win that battle of LA. But certainly LeBron's come back into form um, nicely. And uh, and yeah, like I said before, Westbrook, I think, has been playing quite well. And, you know, this he's starting to fit more into things, which is, you know, a big tick um, for Frank Vogel. Um yeah, it's just a couple of more things that we still need to work out, and I think that's only going to come with time. Yeah, absolutely, and I think that'll be a, a team that you know time will tell. Now, uh, don't be surprised if LeBron winds back the clock for a, a defensive effort against Paul George. That is a statement. He's been prone to do mm. this from time to time. Uh, that seems like the kind of game you might have circled on the calendar. 
Um, but yeah, it will be certainly interesting to wait and see on that one. We'll move over to the Kings now, um, who as uh, a bit of a bit of a teaser for our our guests. We may be having a, a Kings expert coming on very shortly to break down that situation for us. But from our perspective, Nick, they obviously won the triple overtime game against the Lakers. Um, Fox had 34, six and eight. Halliburton was 19, six boards, nine assists, five steals, which is impressive. And Buddy Heald had 25 off the bench, although it wasn't the hottest shooting night. I will say a couple of important shots made down the end though. Yep. They also had a big win over Portland. Um, Heald had 22 off the bench, Fox had 21. Donovan, not Donovan, Davion Mitchell also had 16 in that game off the bench. Is it a bit of bit of fun under the new coach like we predicted, Nick? Uh, is there much to read into this? Is it still too early? Where do you stand on the Kings at the moment? I mean, that's a big win, um, particularly the triple overtime one against LA. I mean, it's pretty easy for younger teams to capitulate in that sort of situation, and they they didn't. It wasn't, you know, like you said, it wasn't the produce of games, but that's, that's a massive win, um, you know, over – and a California rival that they really needed to have. It is a shame that they backed that up with a, a pretty poor performance against Memphis when they got blown out by 27, um, which is not ideal, particularly when you're getting, you know, just a 12-point night from De'Aaron Fox, four of 12 from the floor, five points from Ty- Tyrese Halliburton. And then, well, granted, it was Terrence Davis who got the start in that one, which is... We, Considering we both, you and I were both quite big on him um, in, in the preseason, he has not uh, done us any favours with his shooting performances to start this season. Um, but yeah, it, it is a tricky one when you're not when you're without Barnes, without Holmes, and these sort of guys that you know they're not a they're not a super deep team. And when you cut out two of your more well-established players and exactly who you know you're going to what you're going to get from them it makes it really really hard um for this team um alex len has done an okay job um i thought it was quite good against la actually um but yeah it's the you know interim coach coming in is going to give you a slight shot in the arm am i starting to think that they're going to turn things around and then surge towards a play-in or playoff um appearance um yeah I'm i'm not too sure about that yeah, look, they might benefit from the fact that the West is certainly not as strong as it's been in years gone by. Um, Denver, who unfortunately have just been absolutely capitulated by injuries, could be a candidate to keep slipping down the rankings, although I kind of just feel like you could put four scrubs around Jokic and that's still probably a 500 team. Um, Memphis are not necessarily someone I 100% trust at the moment. Uh, anytime you've got the Minnesota Timberwolves in the playoff race, you've got to feel like they're a candidate to potentially slip. So Sacramento is sitting one spot out of the play-in game at the moment, although they're still a few games behind, two games back of Denver who are sitting in 10th. If they can tread water uh, and probably go 500 the rest of the year, they, they'd probably give themselves a crack at a play-in. Probably not a favourable matchup, mm-hmm. uh, you know, but... <sighs> They're there and thereabouts, and when you look what's below them, it's, it's OKC who are actively trying to lose, although seem to find a way to still be better than the Spurs and the Pelicans, who are not sure if they're trying to win or lose. The Rockets obviously aren't going anywhere, but just by default, Sacramento kind of just need to be the second worst of the teams that are trying to win. <laughs> this is such That's a- such a glowing endorsement. This is such a Kings conversation, it's not even funny, but... Um, look, if they can keep up a bit of a pace with Alvin Gentry, it's hard to tell whether this has had much of an effect at the moment, but I'll give the new coach the benefit of the doubt. Um, one to keep an eye on for sure. It's also going to be interesting to see if this affects the way they kind of manage these multiple ball handling guards. Uh, much had been made, in fact, that Darren Fox had sky-high usage for a guy that also played alongside Tyrese Halliburton. Davion Mitchell, a bunch of other guys that can do a lot with the ball. So things are looking up a little bit in Sacramento. They even got a little bit out of Tristan Thompson the last couple of games, which they hadn't found a way to as well so much to start the year. So yeah. one to keep an eye on. But at the moment, the jury is still very much out in Sacramento. Any I other? Will, I go? will give one more shout out, um, given I think I might have been one of the only people who's ever talked about this guy on a podcast. But my man, Luke King, 
was pretty okay against Memphis. 12 points off the bench in 24 minutes. Um, you know, he was going to get some burn given Barnes was out, given Holmes was out. So it's okay to see a guy who I thought in summer league looked pretty okay um, play some minutes. And he's someone who probably should get some rotation minutes uh, for the Kings going forward, particularly considering Terrence Davis's really struggled shooting the rock. I was about to say, Terrence Davis is begging for someone to take his minutes of the way he's been playing. So, fingers crossed, Louis King. Uh, namesake of mine as well. Um, so, always happy to see uh, the Lou's out there in the world doing well. Probably worth mentioning as well, might be a matter of injuries. Marvin Bagley has been getting a little bit more burn of late. Mm-hmm. Um, still don't know what's going on there. I just assume this is either new coach wants to give him another crack or the Kings front office have told Alvin Gentry to put him in the shop window um, to try to increase the buying price. We're not 100% sure what's happening there. Um, but as per always, we keep coming back to Marvin Bagley with this team and no doubt it's going to trend in one direction or another. They can't keep treading water with him forever. No. That's all for the team wrap-up. We'll be back after the break with scorching a lukewarm or chili as well as the Avica Zubac unsung hero of the week. Pacific Post Ups is closely affiliated with OTG Basketball. They've got a fantastic podcast and YouTube network where you can keep up to date with all things NBA. Make sure you follow them on Twitter and YouTube at OTG Basketball. Back to the show. And we're back with everyone's most controversial segment, Scorching, Lukewarm or Chili Nick. Your take is about a man we've given a bit of love to already in the podcast um, for an award that you suggested might belong in someone else's hands in this division. Far away for us. Yeah, it's it's, it's honestly confused me a little bit, but I, I think that Paul George is uh, getting uh, quite uh, a bit of sleeping on in the MVP race to start the season. Um. I'm, I'm thinking this one's around lukewarm. Uh, okay. Nick, I, I'm interested to see kind of where you think he slots in from a slept-on perspective as far as where you'd have him at the moment in the rankings. Well, I mean, obviously, Steph's number one. You'd probably be slotting KD and Jokic sort of in those other spots, Giannis. I'm looking at NBA.com's Kia MVP ladder, and you've got guys like Chris Paul, Jimmy Butler, DeMar Rosen, Ja Morant, Zach Levine, and Luka Doncic in front of him. I'd be slotting him up a bit higher than a couple of those guys. I mean, I think he's been terrific and it's, you know, quite similar. I think probably not the, not as eye popping in terms of numbers that maybe Steph was putting up for a similarly placed Golden State team. Um, but he's he's just, you've talked about it on the pod tonight, Lou, is the fact that he's been asked to do so much and he's, you know, still averaging just a tick under 26 points per game, seven and a half boards, a career high matching last year's 5.2 assists, almost two steals a game. His three-point shooting has not been the best to start the season, which I think would maybe get a few more eyes on him at 33.3%. But the fact that he's, you know, he's got a career high usage rate of just under 34, um, which is the second highest in the league behind Luca. Um He's needing to do everything, be the best defender, be the best offensive player. And the fact that the Clippers are even in the, the Western Conference race was something that I think a lot of people might have had a bit of confusion about, um, given how this team would go and how the different assortment um, of players um, would work with Paul George. But I think that Paul George is really taking on a really strong leadership role um, with, with this team. Um, I think it's you know been a, a continued maturity in his game where I think he's still developing and still getting better on both ends of the floor. And uh, yeah, I just I genuinely think he should be a, a little bit more in the conversation than he, he is at the moment. Look, it's a fair shout. I think so much of where he ends up sitting is going to come down to what the Clippers record is. Um, I think something that kind of affected Steph Curry's, you know, race last year. And to be fair, I think almost everyone in the NBA ended up feeling satisfied with Nikola Jokic being last year's MVP. Mm. But I think there's still some PTSD from the Westbrook MVP where 
he had a really good year without a ton around him. And his side was, from memory, a six seed, first round exit. Um, didn't make a ton of noise in that first round either. And I think the way people look back on that MVP is perhaps it, it might have been given to the wrong person. Um, wow. I'm someone that's pretty much two feet in that camp at this point in time. And so I think to a certain extent, people, as much as it's a regular season award, they want to give it to a team that at least their regular season record, if not their playoff chances, are going to be reflective of it five years from now when we think back about that season. So if Paul George can claw the the Clippers to be a top four seed or especially a top three seed slotting in probably yep. behind uh, two other Pacific teams in the Suns and the Warriors, I absolutely love that idea. Uh, I think he's got some stiff competition this year. It will be interesting to see. I mean, two of the names you mentioned in Giannis and Jokic, uh, the Nuggets are just going to have so much work to do. He'll also be fighting MVP fatigue, which always happens the year after you win one. Um, Giannis is obviously also going to come down to the Bucks record to a certain extent. He would be someone that, you know, given there was an opinion that he needed to win one again before he, he needed to win a championship before he'd be in line for another MVP. Well, he's got, you know, he's got one now. Um, yep. So he's one definitely to keep an eye on. Of course, Steph Curry, um, if he remains healthy, is a really good shout as well. So I like this, I like this idea. Certainly one to keep an eye on. Some of those names you mentioned as far as who's above him in the MVP ladder feel off. Uh, yep. But, I know yeah. that is only one not one website's MVP ladder, but it is, you know, a, a pretty large website. And that, yeah, that was probably my. While I don't think that maybe Paul George is a front runner for MVP, and I don't think he's in the, probably the top two or top three. Um, yeah, further into the conversation, a couple of the other, those other guys is where I think he should be. Yeah, sounds good, and I, I perfectly agree as well. I, I think the other thing that could help boost him up those rankings is at the end of the day. Paul George made his bread in this league as a two-way guy. Uh, obviously, having having to have do so much offensively, it's going to be hard for him to do this. But if he can really lock in defensively, or even if the Clippers can lock in defensively, and that will reflect on his numbers, you know, through the last two thirds of this season, um, that's going to do a lot for his case as well. Because there are a lot yep. of guys who can be, you know, really good one-way players. I and mean, one of the names you mentioned above him was Demar Derozan, which that sounds really offbeat to me that he'd be above Paul George. But that's a classic example of Paul George instantly moves himself above DeMar DeRozan, providing he's playing above average defense. So, yep. yeah, certainly want to keep an eye on uh, and a pretty good shout from you, I think, Nick. Now, for yourself, Lou, uh, this is this is something that I'll be pretty okay to, to have a chat about, and I'm probably not <laughs> in, the, in the camp that you're about to mention, but what's your take this week, my friend? I, I'm more than certain you're not in the camp of the people I'm about to mention. <laughs> Look, call me biased because I've had this guy sitting as my injury reserve in my fantasy team, but people aren't talking enough about Clay Thompson's return to Ooh. the unique meeting at Golden State Warriors. Okay. I reckon that's I reckon that's getting lukewarm to scorching. Talking about it enough. Where, where, who do you think needs to be talking about it more? What do we need to be talking about specifically with Clay Thompson's return to the Warriors? So, look, no doubt being, you know, knee-deep in Warriors Twitter, you're probably seeing a lot of Clay Thompson to him. Um, and to a selective Warriors community, yeah, like I said, this this take might seem a bit off. But as someone that lives more in the general uh, NBA nebulous, uh, I feel like it's not getting discussed enough in the way that we're already to the point of the year where we're talking about hearing teams talking about trade targets or who might even be available on the buyout market, what teams could do at the deadline, you know, with contenders. There is not a player out there in the league unless there's some sort of weird uh, Ben Simmons thing or something to do with Damian Lillard going somewhere or whatever that is going to even rival the fact that the Golden State Warriors, in theory, are getting an all-star, borderline all-NBA guy. If he's healthy, I understand he's coming back from a lot of injuries, getting him back around Christmas time, maybe earlier, all reports are that he is... Hungry as all hell. I'm 100% sure the ball boys in Golden State are sick of getting absolutely scorched in a, in training scrimmages while the team's on the road and, and Clay's doing whatever he wants at the training centre. But 
at the end of the day, this guy could be an all-star addition, uh, one of the best off-ball players of all time who can fit straight into this offense. He's not going to take anything away from what Steph and Draymond are doing. If anything, his spacing is going to add to it. Um, I, I just don't know, considering they're, they're you know, leading the league in record, how we're not talking about this more and what this means for, for uh, you know the pointy end of the season, Nick. I think people don't want to talk about it because they're terrified of what might happen. And that's okay, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm highly enjoying the silent fear that a lot of people are having. Um, but no, I'm actually starting to put together an article about this. this is the first time I've written it in a while, which I'm enjoying. Um, but it's just, it's, it's been such a long time. Um, two years off is a, is a, is a long time in basketball. Um, you know, part of the article that I've been writing um, for OTG basketball is the fact that, um, you know, like the, the different faces that were in different teams, you know, the last time that Clay Thompson was, you know, stepping foot on an NBA floor. Um, it's really wild. And I think that, you know, getting him back to, to Santa Cruz, um, you know, is going to be, I really want to watch Clay Thompson play some G League games <laughs> because I think that it'll be really funny. Um Drop thirty and a quarter and be like, all right, you're done, mate. You're done for the night. Um, Steve Kerr's not it, there to pull him off, though. Exactly right. Exactly right. Um, it is going to be interesting, I think, um, to sort of see how he goes. Um, in turn, I think that no, no one's questioning that you know he's going to shoot the hell out of the ball. I think if he's seventy-five to eighty percent of the defender that he was, then I think people need to get a little bit worried because that's probably where. The, the where he's going to be needed because you know Warriors are already defending at a really high level. If if you're getting a reasonably capable defense defensive uh, you know um, version of Clay Thompson back, then that's well, we're getting close to calling things a wrap, and that's where I'm probably more keen to sort of see how he goes. But you know, it, 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 it's certainly been an interesting thing to watch. I mean, um, there was a really fantastic article in the Athletic by uh, Marcus Thompson um, about Clay. Um, and sort of his, you know, kind of vulnerability and just how much he's missing the game. You know, he's had some more time in front of the media and talking about, you know, um, what he's been missing and, you know, how hungry he is to get back almost on a, like a borderline psychopathic level. <laughs> and you can't blame him. And um, it, it is going to be a, a really, uh, just a really good sight to see him back on. I mean, um, you know, when he when he drops that first three at Chase Center. That's going to be fun. Absolutely. Um, he's just been such a lovable guy throughout his career, both mm. within Golden State and throughout the league. Um, you know, you mentioned the media that's coming out about some of the struggles he's gone through with his return. I just think this guy is so primed mentally just to go nuts. Um, and, you know, whatever, I'm, I'm 100% confident whatever Clay's got left in the tank, we're seeing going to see 110% of it. Um, I think... No doubt that if anything, that the physio staff are going to have to, you know, keep coaching him through your know, limp minute restrictions <laughs> and all of that fun kind of stuff. You know, maybe sitting some back to backs and and the like. Um, I kind of hope he gets back on the court in the NBA a game or two prior to Christmas, which primes him um, for a big Christmas Day game. But you know, at, at the end of the day, it's a guy that I think we all want to see him back at his at his best and. He's been sorely missed over the last couple of years. Um, and, hey, that that really jolts the Warriors probably up to clear favourite if he's 100% of clay. So yep. one to keep an eye on, and no doubt we'll keep feeding you guys the news as it comes through about his timeline for a return, uh, which is imminently looming. Moving over to our Avica Zubac Unsung Hero of the Week award. Nick, you've got another one coming at us straight from the bay. Yep, this is, I think, maybe my, ooh, I'm going to say maybe my third warrior, maybe my fourth warrior to, to slot in here. And I've, I've done a pretty okay job to not mention him so far. But to be fair, he actually hasn't played a lot of minutes to start the season off. And um, due to some injuries, some players being out, particularly Andre Iguodala's absence, there has been a role um, required um, from this guy. And, uh, yeah, my uh, IZ... Sorry, we do say the Z in Australia. Um, a winner for for this week is Juan Toscano-Anderson. And um, 
he's been superb and been called upon um, over the last week and a bit, really. Sort of, you know, been compared to averaging 15 minutes per game uh, this season, uh, he's, you know, after being a, such a massive part of the rotation uh, towards the end of last year, you know, he's had to settle back, you know, behind like a Bialitsa, behind a Porter, behind a Nigadala. And, you know, he was quite frank in some um, interview comments um, just under a week ago, I think now, and sort of obviously, you know, airing some of the frustrations, but he's been fantastic of late, you know, sort of averaging 22 minutes over the past four games, um, had particularly, I think, highlighted by a 13-point night where he was six of six on the floor, six boards, six assists, two blocks and a steal against Philly. Um, I, he was instrumental in sort of helping that game uh, you know, pull things away um, from the Sixers, you know, and whether that's, you know, his ability uh, just to provide 110% um, running up the floor and providing an option, uh, always moving, um, which is fantastic. Defensive hustle, makes good decisions with the ball in hand. His shot's probably not been what it was at the end of last season, but it's not a huge deal because it's on such a small volume. Um, but yeah, he, I just think he's been absolutely terrific and a real shot in the arm uh, off the bench for the dubs over the last week. Yeah, absolutely. And look, this is a former uh, nominee for this award as well, um, and with good reason. I, I was a little bit worried at the start of the season that he was getting a touch lost in the shuffle uh, with some other athletic wings back on this roster. Um, you know, he, he's a guy now that is really going to have to keep fighting for his minutes as opposed to maybe in years gone by where whilst 100% earning them, he was also going to keep getting them even if he wasn't. So it's a good shout. Um, you know, we obviously, there was a, the highlight dunk from this week but you know he does so much more than that um and if he continues to kind of provide the athleticism the defense the heart um an improved shooter as well throughout the course of his career he's going to continue to be an unsung hero on a roster that otherwise has a ton of names um so that's a, a great shout from munich and, and no doubt this will probably not be the last time he gets nominated this season for sure and your end on things Lou, who have we got? This is a guy that we were talking a little bit about in the preseason as a very savvy acquisition for last year's NBA finalists. Yeah, absolutely. And look, the the Phoenix Suns bench has been really stout throughout this winning streak. Um, and, you know, when we're talking unsung heroes, we're, we're looking for, for guys that aren't the big names, but guys that are, you know, able to help their team contribute to winning night in, night out. And that's been Juvail McGee for the Phoenix Suns. Mm, very, very good shout. Um, what has JaVale been doing particularly of late that you've really uh, liked um, off the pine for Phoenix? And also spent some time uh, not, not off on the pine. Particularly yeah, absolutely. Absence. Uh, to answer your question, uh, rebounding, rolling to the rim and providing a presence on defense. The same things JaVale McGee has always done really well, particularly as he's become a savvy veteran throughout his time and Golden State, LA, we'll skip the Cleveland stint. It was pretty handy in Denver. Um, so, yeah, look, he's been putting up double-digit scoring in well, four of his last five games. Um, taking out a, a game about a week ago against Denver, since then it's been eight rebounds, 12 rebounds, eight rebounds, 10 rebounds. Obviously not in large minutes. The most minutes he's played was 20 against Cavs, the Cavs a few, uh, few days ago now. He's just been tremendously competent. He gives Monty Williams a guy you can trust off the bench. Um, he does so many similar things to Aiton. Obviously, Aiton has more of a face-up game and all that kind of stuff. But the fundamentals of of what Aiton does so well, uh, you know, JaVale McGee doesn't lag too far behind. So I, I just think that, you know, we always talk about how easy it is, replacement value centers and all that kind of stuff. But to find a guy that doesn't take away from what you're trying to do on offense whilst also giving you a competent defense. It is severely underrated, I think. Um, mm. And there's always a lot of love for JaVale on this podcast. So shout out to you, JaVale. Playing super well. And I think probably the one thing that maybe I wasn't expecting as much is that his scoring has been quite good. You know, 10, 10 points per game um, off the bench is nothing to sniff at for a guy who's what a, has a career average of just a, a tick under eight. So um, the fact that he's been able to still provide some buckets as well as, you know, um, really rebounding at a high clip, I think is, is just an added bonus uh, for Monty Williams. Yeah, absolutely. And in a league that keeps getting smaller, he's a he's a really big body and he's always going to mm. offer a fair bit on the glass. So that's all we've got time for this week, folks. Um, we'll maybe have something different coming at you next week, uh, potentially a, a bit of a guess. We're, we're losing Nick, unfortunately, for the week. Um 
But don't worry, fans, he's not going anywhere in the long term. Um, so until then, Nick, uh, I'll speak to you in a fortnight. And listeners, I'll speak to you next week. We'll see you then.